Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, we promised the people part two of Kevin O'Brien, part two of the FF Engineer talking Dynasty team building, and we've got him back with us today. Matt, how are you doing? I'm great. Let's just dig right in, though. I mean, this has been rolling along, and this is our second two-parter. I don't want to stop the momentum. Sounds great. We do have Kevin back. Kevin, thanks for joining us again. Last time we talked Dynasty Startup Strategy. You talked about your 401k team building strategy. We talked about rookie drafts. Let's let's move into the summer, uh, which, which is where we are now. It's team management. For the most part, rookie drafts are done. Startup drafts are mostly done. And now it's kind of that tough grind between the early part of the summer and, and the actual football taking place, even if we're talking training camp or, or preseason. So what does that, what does this time look like for you? I'm, I'm assuming you're done with a startup. So you're, you're doing some kind of roster evaluation. What does that look like? Yeah. So in the summer, I'm basically taking a lay of the land. You know, uh, one advantage I have as a commissioner as you know, is when you turn over your leagues, you sort of cleaning up everyone's roster like, okay, hey, get him off of IR, you know, uh, meet the roster limits and collecting dues and you're going through all the things, you're importing the trades from last year. So part of that process, you you get to kind of take notes and look at uh, everyone's roster. So I recommend even if you're not a commish to take it, everyone, look at everyone's roster and just like, oh man, you, you want to find that, that one owner that Oh, he sold out. He sold out to make the playoffs, and he 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 fell flat on his face. I'm gonna go target that owner like early in the summer. So I want to go after him. That's the weak antelope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, he's he's trailing the herd, and I'm gonna really go after him because yeah, he's, he's gonna want to turn over, right? He's gonna want to implement a new strategy and turn over a new leaf and engage him early. And and I want to be in on that, right? As he does his fire sale. So I'm always looking for those those teams and, and trade partners type of things and, and identify what's going on and and obviously reevaluating you know maybe uh, you pleasantly were surprised by somebody like I talked to on last week's episode is the the 25 percent bucket of the rookie picks you know maybe you had a guy that really really uh, turned into something that was a producing player into 50 percent bucket. And maybe someone's aging out of that 50% bucket. And I want to like maybe decide whether I'm going to keep him as like a T.Y. Hilton top bucket, you know, aging guy that might I'm willing to let him wilter off my roster. Or maybe that's a trade away candidate, right? Somebody that's like on the top, you know, um, tra- like say Michael Thomas. Say you have somebody like A.J. Brown and D.J. Moore on your Last year, they were your 25% bucket prospects. Now, both of them excelled, and they're pretty much studs going into the core of your roster. MT might be expendable. you know. So go ahead and trade him away, and maybe you get some players that's that's on the cusp of that small cap pro- prospect, sort of what Sean had took to, talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, about how he traded away uh, DJ Moore for uh, like four assets, I think it was. What about player age? I know this is a topic we, we did talk about this quite a bit with Sean earlier. Uh, how how much does player age come into account when you're evaluating players? When you're placing your value on them, are, are, is there a certain age where you're ready to trade away a player, no matter what he may have shown? 
Right. So much of what we've already talked about in terms of my buckets, I think this is really helps me be be true to myself and and what my age and my team looks like and in whether I'm too young or too old or I have a lot of players in the 24 to 26 year old range. Age is definitely a big component of it because I sort of want to know whether that I look I think of like product life cycles, right? So like you have a product life cycle of your PlayStation, right? PlayStation comes out with a new box and it's the new thing and then it's kind of at the peak where they're probably a couple more years before they develop PlayStation 5. And then once you're you're hearing that PlayStation 5 is coming out, you sort of want to sell your PS4, right? And get ready to be able to purchase the PS5, right? So I want to know this like life cycle of a player and know that running backs at 25, 26, this is the back nine now, right? And I want to know what that curve looks like and know what to anticipate. Yeah, but once you, once you know that new version is coming, like once they make the announcement that PS5 is on the way, it's already too late to sell the four, right? Nobody wants it. Sort of. So that's sort of true. Um, I think that's that. It depends on your league, obviously. But I think in general, what I have found that there are there's always a buyer. So there's always going to be someone that's looking to fill, whether they know it or not. They're looking to fill some points on their roster, and they they might be willing to buy it. Now, the thing that changes usually is not whether you can move that player or not. It's the value you place on that player. So, so you may have to look at it like, you know, in the PlayStation example, your PS4 is not worth what you thought it was. And I'm okay with that because I've built my roster such that I've gotten what I wanted out of him when he was at peak value. I won some championships. I, I, I was able to produce some points out of this player and I backfilled what he was. AJ Brown is now, right? So like the Michael Thomas to um, AJ Brown example is that as MT's value goes down, AJ Brown's going up. So I don't really necessarily need to sell Michael Thomas at peak value. I know he's declining. I know I might not be able to get as much as I once was. And that's okay. And and, and also in that, I also want to decide maybe he's someone I tuck in that 25% bucket. You know, a Years past, Jordy Nelson was this type of player for me. It was like he was producing still at 30. Larry Fitzgerald was a player like that where he's on his back nine, but he's still producing, you know, say top 24, top 36 wide receiver type seasons. I just got to be true to myself that if I decide to sell that player, and like you said, it might be too late, it might be too late to get peak value. But I also enjoyed playing my PlayStation. There's also the other side of it, the buyer side of it, that if the Apple Store is giving away iPhone 8s, I'll still take them on the cheap and let my kids use them. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that's what I was saying. That there's always sort of a buyer. It's just the value you got to be aware of in that, you know, somebody else, whether they follow my philosophy, take on someone like a T.Y. Hilton or not, or a Golden Tate or whoever that fills that bucket for them. You know, if you're a guy like me and, you know, your 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 top peak guy like Antonio Brown that you thought were going to be good for longer, all of a sudden goes bonkers nuts, and you know now I'm like left held in the bag. I'm a buyer, right? So somebody I'm prime candidate for somebody to sell me MT, right? So you you may think the value might go down, like I said, but as a, a you know thinking about role reversal, it, I, I'm on the other side of it. I would target that AB owner with my MT share. And say, hey, he's trying to replace that type of player on his roster. 
Kevin, let's keep the trade talk going. What's what's your general process for identifying trade targets? You've you've kind of alluded to it a little bit, and certainly I would assume you you stick with that four hundred one k. I like what you said. I think I think it was last episode. You don't want to trade those uh, those guys in the younger prospect twenty five percent bucket for the T Y Hiltons for the players in that older. But you would certainly go the other way, right? Absolutely. And, 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 you know, generally speaking, I don't want to, like, it's always easier to acquire those 25% aging older players that large cap type, you know, producing the top 24 type positional seasons. But we know that they're on the cusp of retiring at any time, like T.Y. Hilton or somebody like that. So they're usually easier to acquire. So I'm okay depleting that bucket a little bit more than I would be depleting a 25% bucket of the prospect bucket, right? So, yeah, definitely going the other way. It's much easier to want to trade a T.Y. Hilton for a Hardman type thing, um, for sure. But we also know that the the older player 25% group is the, that's the easiest group to acquire in dynasty. Absolutely. And you know, vice versa. It, I acknowledge it's also harder to go the reverse. It's easy to say for me to say, go get Hardman with, with a Hilton. That's harder to do obviously. But I think the focus that I always like to put there is that you, if you can be sort of a trade technician, you, my biggest trade um, advice is that you hide your hand. So if I'm trying to give up Hilton to acquire Hardman, I don't want Hardman to be the focus of the trade. I'll go to him and say, you know, maybe he has like a tight end that I want, like Mark Andrews or something. And I'll go target him with Mark Andrews and say, I'm willing to give up my second round pick for Mark Andrews. But, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe the value is not there. You know, it's kind of iffy. You go back and forth. Or come up with a scenario where it's it's a one your one player is a little bit more value than the player that you want to acquire, and then I'll say you know why don't you level it up with a Hardman and I'll I'll bring it up a little bit with Hilton, so now you're you're effectively making a trade that you consider a, a plus value because you're willing to give up say the second round pick for Mark Andrews, but. So to you, that's an even trade. But to them, it's easy enough to hide that to say, hey, look, you're getting a little bit more value here. And then you say, well, you know, you want to up it with Hardman. So Hardman wasn't your target, perceived to be at least, but he really, in the back of your head, he was the target. Gotcha. You get there in a roundabout way. Yeah, you want to get in a roundabout way. Because, I mean, I know, I've been in leagues with Ryan. I know he's done this to me. If I go to him and acquire Freeman... Come on, man. I, I mean, sometimes it's harder as an analyst because, you know, everything's posted in uh, mm-hmm. neon lights, right? Like, I'm a Freeman lover, and you can hold me over the barrel for him, which has certainly happened. But, you know, at the same time, you, you sort of want to be able to try to slide a hand it, right? It, so if I go to Ryan and say, hey, I want Hardman, immediately Ryan's going to start asking the questions. Even if you're a casual player approaching Ryan, Ryan's immediately going to say, why does he want Hardman? He must have listened to a podcast somewhere, and then Ryan's gonna go looking for that article. Who has the who who has the goods on Hardman? Why is somebody trying to acquire him for 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 even what I would think is an aggressive trade? So I, I think you gotta be kind of like a I don't want to say like diabolical, but you kind of slide a hand it a little bit to to not put that attention on the player you're trying to acquire. Yeah, that's good advice, Kevin. I know you play in multiple leagues. You've talked about that a little bit. 
uh, over these past two episodes. So when you come up with a player that you you do want to target, maybe it's we'll, we'll stick with that Mikal Hardman example because he is a good trade target right now. So so you decide you want Mikal Hardman. Are you sending offers for him in every league, or does that become kind of team dependent, league dependent? I generally will do a widespread approach. If I if I identify a player that I want to target, I buy him everywhere, and I sort of commit to that. Is sort of my nature, like I did with Freeman years ago. Uh, I sort of committed to myself that I wanted to buy Freeman back in 2016, 15, whatever it was. And I just locked and loaded. I said, I want to buy him everywhere I can. Because usually what ends up happening is you can only acquire him in probably 75% of your leagues. you know, And, and you may only be able to acquire him in places you didn't expect. I never want to kind of tell myself that, oh, that guy will never move him. Like, I, I've made those assumptions and been wrong more often than not. So I typically will go wide and then see what makes it through. I'm similar in that if I find a guy that, boy, now's the time to buy. Maybe I heard it on somebody else's podcast or maybe I came up with it myself or whatever. Like, now's the time. He's about to skyrocket. I go after him in every league. And, again, you're lucky if you get him in 50%. I mean, maybe even one one of the leagues you nail him in. And then the other thing I noticed how I make most of my trades, and I've mentioned this before, is I'm in seven dynasty leagues, and I camp out in one for like a week or two at a time and just focus entirely on there. And anyone that happens to fall in the chat room is like a a fly in the spider's nest. I mean, I attack them like crazy. Like I I just always have that up in front of me thinking, I'm going to totally concentrate on this team, make three or four moves to really bolster this one, then move to the next league. Sure. I, I think that's a good way to sort of um, direct your attention type of thing. And you definitely want to do that. I mean, sometimes I always wish there was an alert. I could get an alert when there's somebody that's been logged in third time in a week on a, on a league, right? Because it's like you want that active owner. You want that guy that's itching to make a move. And because um, we talk a lot about cost in, in Dynasty Leagues, but really a big part of Dynasty Trades is getting a person willing to trade sometimes people just aren't focused like you say you focus on one out of seven well if i'm looking to trade for one of your players matt and it's the league and i happen to hit you in a week you're not paying you're not paying attention to that one of the other leagues it's really hard to make that move right i want to hit you even when you're looking at that team for one that one week right so i want to know you're willing to be active right and there's some owners that over the summer aren't real active they're just checked out yeah I mean, I, I had a guy that told me, sorry, get back to me after baseball season. I'm doing fantasy baseball now. And it was like June. <laughs> I, I've had a couple experiments with this over the years. And I, one thing that I find that actually helps, it's kind of funny, is that I'll end up making a, a trade for a fourth round rookie pick. And it's like, I don't really gain anything out of it. I just, what I have found that is if you move, say it's a player you're willing to like drop, right? You just like, you you... Riley Ridley or something on the Chicago Bears, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like Devo- Devontae Freeman. Devontae Freeman. I ain't trading yet, man. Ouch, I'm ouch. hoping his asking price comes down. He'll go to the Bucks, and all the Bond people can laugh. But <laughs> anyway, so I what what I want to do. The reason I do these little stupid trades is because I have found more times than often than not 
somebody sees a trade go through in your league, they get that email, even if they're not been uh, paying attention, and all of a sudden, the they got room. the itch, man. Right. They itch. They flock to the chat room. They're like, you know, I really meant to make a move. And they want to get in on right the action, the man. Yep. And you always see the domino effect of, like, that follow-on trade. And sometimes you see these, like, third-round rookie pick, like a Riley Ridley for fourth-round pick. And then... Like, an hour later, Michael Thomas gets traded for something. And you're like, wait, man, this just, like, <laughs> kicked up the activity, right? And mm-hmm. I, I really find that is a great way to get your league interested. Yeah, great point. I love that. Um, Kevin, talk to us about sell high, buy low. Uh, are, are you more likely to do one of those than the other? Yeah. So I, I think buy high, it really hardly ever works out. And... It's really difficult because the bot high players, like say for instance Christian McCaffrey, it's really hard to get those owners to come off of Christian McCaffrey. So you almost have to put an overvalued trade offer just to get them to think about moving him. So now you're already like overextending yourself. I I refer to this like you're going out on a limb. And then you're going a little bit further to even get that player. So you're overextending your assets. You're you're putting too many players in a pool. But then you also have to kind of grease it to buy high, right? It's kind of like the double whammy of, I, I want this good player, so I got to convince them to move them, and then I got to pay overpay to get that person to even think about trading them. So it's really a bad spot to be in, and and the only case you can really do it is if you really, really believe in that player, right? It's it's really a difficult situation. Um, so you better I win will, the league too. Yeah, you know, like I. I have had success with it. Like I've, um, I bought Antonio Brown the year after his first year. He had a good year, and people thought he was a one-hit wonder. And I, I love or something. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. <laughs> so then, got me uh, back. You know, so then you know you get Antonio Brown, and that pays off for you. But the problem is that like you're creating a narrow, narrow range of outcomes like that. You really got to hit that trade, right? Because if that doesn't hit, you really overextended yourself. So it's very difficult to pull off. Now the sell, what did you say? Sell low? Yeah, really just, really just buying and selling in general based on, on that value. I mean, we see these guys gaining, losing value quickly. I mean, even the, even like the Dalvin Cook example we talked about earlier, like, are you more likely to buy Dalvin Cook right now or sell him? Buy. Buy. And yeah. Buy at value even. So this right. is an interesting one to talk about because I think the misnomer that... Next year? Yeah. I think the misnomers people have is that that there's two sides of it. Is that even right now it's the attention's on him and a Cook owner is not going to sell low. That that's probably going to be a rare case. That they just completely abandon and, and they themselves overreact to the news. I think what's more likely is that owner goes from, I didn't want to move him, to now I will move him. And, and it, that's not necessarily you're buying low or, or that person selling low. It's just that that person's now decided that, okay, I'm willing to move Cook. Right there's these players like I mentioned Christian McCaffrey that it's very difficult to get an owner just to decide to move that player. But now Cook will this news will transition that owner to say, uh, you know, okay, I'll consider selling him now. And even if you made an offer that was say ninety percent off value, so you're buying a little bit lower than you probably should be. 
But don't go like I, I hate it when people see these news and then they go to try to go to the cook owner and say, you know, I'll just give you a late first farm. Like as if this as if the cook owner is just like gonna completely eat it and say, I wanna get rid of cook, I'm out. You know, that very hard to do. I mean, geez, I can't even give up on Antonio Brown and Freeman right now. Like I don't even wanna sell them at this point. No, I'm like holding on for like too long, right? So it's very really difficult for an owner to just trade them away at a low. To, that you got they got to come to a low po- point in their roster place or mindset to really do that. But I, I think it becomes a buy opportunity in that that they'd be willing to move the player now. Yeah, the the discount is just that the player is available, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll listen now for the first time. Yeah. Exactly, um, folks. By now, you probably most of you've heard of Reality Sports Online. I tell you about them a lot. Um, it, it's a powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team just like an NFL general manager. But the question is, folks, have you tried it? It's time to go see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. Think it sounds complicated? It really isn't. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is that it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. So if you think you're among the fantasy elite, well, this is the absolute platform to test your metal. Still not sure? You can test out your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use the promo code BLUEPRINT to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. All right, Kevin, let's move on into the fall. The regular season has started. We talked about this at uh, at the beginning of last week's episode, the, the mindset changes. Maybe you were acquiring young players, draft picks, but when, uh, when week one kicks off, you really just want to win. Uh, how have you been able to, I guess, take advantage of that mindset change by so many others? Yeah, I, I definitely, I fall into the fill gaps mentality and, the, the way I've done this is um, I start to read and listen to a lot of DFS players. So the, it's a really weird thing to say, right? We're all dynasty players. We all focus on age and long-term and everything like that. But these DFS gurus, they're really focused on the winning weekly thing, right? The matchups, this player's got a good matchup, this player's got a good start-sit kind of thing. And the one dynamic that's similar is that these DFS guys have a budget when they're trying to fill a lineup. They can't put all studs in their lineup. So they've got to find what I call like a 3 or 4K on, on DraftKings wide receiver. And if you're not familiar with DFS, it's basically a low-budget, sometimes waiver-wire type player. Like you're looking at somebody like um, Keyshawn Johnson on the Cardinals, right? Maybe rostered, maybe not in a dynasty league. But he might have a great matchup, injuries, etc., and he could be someone that you fill in as a bi-week replacement or, you know, get you like your 10 points floor or something like that when you need. So I'm definitely trying to fill those holes that way. Yeah, I like that. I'm just waiting for Laquan Treadwell week, Kev. We'll see. We'll see if that ever happens. He can beat out Gage, <laughs> be one man. Of those it could happen. Guys for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about waiver wire. This is kind of an underrated, I think, aspect of Dynasty. Of course, so much of the focus on rookie drafts, on startup drafts, on making trades. How do you manage the waiver wire in your leagues? Yeah, so, you know, 
one thing that when I was listening to your your uh, Sean two part series was that you didn't mention the term roster clogger once. You sort of touched upon it lightly, but I had to make sure that I brought it up now because this is where the waiver wire exists for me. So generally speaking, you never want to leave empty roster spots and you never want to waste roster spots. I really will hardly ever roster uh, like um, somebody that is like a Frank Gore. You know, it's like even if you start him, maybe you get five, ten points. I don't want that kind of guy. I typically want my end of the roster to be uh, a late blooming prospect, you know, like flyer, or I'm going to fill with the waiver wire some like tight ends that just come out of nowhere because they always seem to. Um, the, I always have the a Darren ton of Wallers, guys. the John Smith, <laughs> right. the, yeah. you know, these kind of tight ends that you can find them. Jeremy Sprinkle, you know, fill you back in the roster with these random tight ends. And, and never sort of leave the back of your roster empty. And and on the other side, I'm very aggressive. If there's a player that is it broke out in a week and next, next waiver wire rolls around, I won't think twice doing 80% of my budget. I'll blow it to go get that player. Because generally, I found over the years, there are only a handful that ever fit that criteria, and I don't want to miss out. You know, some years, there's only one guy that fits that criteria that you would basically pay your full budget to acquire so i'm very aggressive and i'll get that player uh, as much as i can yeah i love the roster clogger term and and when i wrote that article years ago uh, i pointed out my favorite thing about the way the roster clogger plays out i've got that player and frank gore's a good example i've got that player on my roster most of the league would agree he's worth a roster spot but I come to the determination he's not for me because he's never going to start. He basically has no upside. Uh, and honestly, if if he is going to start, my team's in, in bad shape already. The, the best part about the whole scenario is I drop Frank Gore. And what's going to happen next, Kevin? I pick him up and start him. You pick him up, right? Or somebody else picks him up. So not only have I helped my team by getting rid of a roster clogger and adding a a young guy with upside, but I've made your team worse because now you're, you know, I'm putting my, I'm cleaning out my garage, right? I'm, and I'm filling my garage with your, your yard sale, the the stuff you put up for yard sale that didn't sell, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So my running backs on a buy, I got to pick up board. And they they end up, and then I end up dropping, which has happened in the past. I end up dropping somebody that you pick up and and ends up breaking out. Exactly. That's that's the best part of the roster clogger. The toughest part is really kind of like we talked about earlier. The toughest part is deciding who really is a roster clogger. It's it's that player. Uh, that you're never going to start. He has no trade value. Frank Gore certainly does not have trade value, and you you never want to start him. It, why 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 is he on Absolutely. a roster? All right, let's get um, fast forward. It's the end of the fantasy season. We talked about this a little bit already, but you're uh, you're starting that off season routine. It's it's before rookie drafts. It's before really startup drafts are rolling again. What does that early off season look like for you? Are you are you starting to study the incoming rookie class? Are you evaluating your your teams, looking for holes? Uh, we'll we'll wrap up with this conversation. 
quickly going like through the months, right? January is basically I like to take it off. MFL hasn't rolled over. Uh, my MyFantasyLeague.com doesn't roll out over until February. So I take January off pretty much. As commission, I just try to get payouts done, that kind of thing around Christmas time. January is kind of like refresh, stop, right? And then February, as commission, I roll over the leagues, getting everybody who's in, who's out kind of thing. So my focus is generally there. And then at the same time, I overlap that, like I discussed earlier, is that I look at everyone's roster, sort of go through and see who might, who's going to be the the rebuild teams, who's going to be the uh, – they, they uptick their contender and everything else. And then um, – Go from there. And then March is when I start to look at the rookies. Who's going to the Combine? Who do people like Ryan McDowell like? And, you know, I start reading those lists and those articles and and watch those videos as I can. April, I start to form um, who's going to be popular in a draft. Who's really going to be infected by landing spots? I think this is good prep work for for pre-NFL draft is you want to know who, like, CEH is low. But if he goes into... A Rams offense or a KC offense, what kind of catapult you expect him to see? If a, if a guy like Dobbins goes to KC, what would that look like? If Lamb goes to the Raiders, how am I going to feel about that? So I like to kind of just put players in different places and, and see how I feel about that. And then obviously, yeah, I, I want to picture it. You know, how, you know, any receiver in the Raiders offense would give me a bad taste in the mouth, just like we have on Ruggs now. If Ruggs went to KC, how would you feel? Much different, right? Yeah. So I want to know yeah. that pre-draft, what would that look like? I love I love the way our buddy Sigmund Bloom talks about it, t- telling yourself that story, right? How, what's the story for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to become the 101? Well, we, we know it now, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Kevin, really great stuff from you again. Thanks for joining us uh, the the past two episodes. You really uh, gave us a lot of a lot of food for thought, a lot of insight into your dynasty team building strategy. Tell our listeners once again where they can find you and your work. Yeah, you can find me up on Twitter, uh, the underscore ff underscore engineer. Yes, two underscores, uh, and everything pretty much centralized through there. You can check out my website, theffengineer.com. Have some uh, interesting data there. Um, and then post probably be posting some articles on DLF coming up soon. Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks again, Kevin. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint. Mm-hmm.